Hi, I'm Matt Kierkegaard, and thanks to Cryo Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation. This is the third part of our extended conversation with brewer and founder of the Pink Boots Society, Terry Farendorf. In this episode, we talk a lot about Terry's current role with Great Western Malting and some of the interesting things that she is working on there, including her new brew malt, which is taking malt in some very interesting directions and is also creating quite a bit of interest here already as well. As you would have picked up if you listened to the first two parts, with Terry, the conversation goes everywhere and it's a great chat. I hope you'll enjoy it. Now, Terry, thank you for staying on. Um, let's talk about uh, another dimension uh, to, to your life, which is malt. And uh, you are the Malt Innovation Centre Manager at the Great, Great Western Malting, which uh, to Australian listeners who would know Barrett Burston is, is part of the, 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 the same network. Yep. Um, how long have you been in, in that role? So it sounds like you've, uh, you, you've done your road brewer phase, you've, you've, you've worked right through and you've gone back into a whole other element of the brewing industry. Right. I was the brewmaster for 19 years, and then I was a gypsy brewer with the Road Brewer Project for, let's say, about a year. And then I was actually a um, beer store clerk, which means that I was a beer detective and a beer matchmaker. And then I was in malt and ingredient sales, beer ingredient sales for Great Western Malting and Country Malt Group, which is like Cryer Malt is here. Okay. And so I did that for six years. So I learned a lot about malt during that time. And it was great because I really felt like um, I speak both languages, malting and brewing, and I can be kind of the translator with that. So I had to figure out how can I explain about different kinds of malt and different flavors of malt to brewers because depending on how different specialty malts are made, and that was my talk yesterday, actually, how different special malts, specialty malts are made, that will determine the flavors you're going to get in your beer. And you can make substitutions that are close um, as long as you're within the same family of malts as far as manufacture goes. So when Great Western Malting decided they were going to have this, and, and they didn't have a name for it. They're like, we're going to, okay, let me back up for a second. In 2010, Great Western Malting bought a little brewery, which I helped spec out because the port of Vancouver that we're in needed to change a rail line and needed to tear down one of our buildings and gave us some money. And our then president of Great Western Malting said, uh, let's buy a brewery with some of that money. And I'm like, that's cool. (laughs) So I got to help spec that. But we didn't budget the money for anyone to install it or run it. So it sat there, a big pile of stainless steel for five years. It was kind of sad because a brewery that's sitting there in a pile is is very sad. It has a purpose in life, and it hasn't been able to fulfill that yet. So in 2015, I heard that they wanted to get that brewery going. And I was like, wow, this is great. And I thought, I really want that job. That job is perfect for me. So... I laid down on my thinking couch. You know, in our last episode, we talked about the thinking couch, and I had to think about what does it mean for Pink Boots Society to be an organization and really think through all that. And I thought, uh, what does it mean for a malting company to have a one-barrel brewery? And, you know, what can we do with that, and where can we go with that, and what's important about that? And I thought, 
you know, we have that whole room and they weren't sure what they were going to do with the other half of it at first. And I thought, you know what? We need to own the word innovation when it comes to malt because that's what this is going to be. This is, this is I was going to call it the Malt Innovations Center because I thought we'll do a lot of innovations, but the boss, like Malt Innovation Center, and I'm like, that's close enough. And, uh, and I thought I was kind of proud that they liked the words that I had come up with. Um, and they hired me for it. Um, and um, so I have a pilot brewery that's um, one barrel, one U.S. barrel, which is probably about 1.2 hectoliters. Yep. And I have a 150 kilogram uh, pilot malting unit that was built in the United Kingdom. And so we malt about once a week and we brew about once a month. And um, we do a lot of different things with these. Uh, the pilot malting unit, we, we might want to test new crop barley when it's coming in in, in the autumn. Um, you know, how, how is, is that barley reacting? Um, one of the things I talked about in my, my talk yesterday was that every farmer's field is a different microclimate um, because barley can be grown at sea level. It can be grown at elevation. It can be grown dry land where you're waiting for rain. It can be grown uh, irrigated land. And each of those different unique barleys are going to have different germination uh, speeds. And, and what the molsters are doing is they're trying to replicate the best growing conditions, the best field growing conditions, but they're doing it inside in equipment in, in machinery and so um, how are you going to make that barley happy when it doesn't talk it's kind of like the brewers how brewers don't actually make beer yeast makes beer the brewers just make the yeast happy so how are you going to make the yeast happy so that you can make great beer well how are we going to make the barley happy so that it sprouts and can become malt it's a similar kind of a thing so you know some barleys are going to need more moisture some barleys are going to need more heat or maybe they want it colder. Um, maybe they're, they have too much CO2 and you need to draw off the CO2 and keep them a little cooler that way as well. And so um, we'll do new crop barleys when they come in in the autumn. Some of the projects we've worked on is, is developing flat-out new malts. We don't have new designing new processes, processes. we got to say it the Australian way. Uh, developing new processes. Um, um, we had a customer who was an organic brewery, and uh, the owner's parents own an organic wheat farm up in the San Juan Islands, which is near Seattle and near Vancouver, Canada as well. And he said, we would like you to malt some of our organic hard red wheat in your pilot malting unit. And, okay, uh, let's do that. Why not? And so... Uh, um, what kind of malt do you want? Uh, we want a 30 EBC Munich, okay? And so we had to set expectations well. Um, we've never actually malted a wheat all the way through in the pilot malting unit, so we don't know. We might wreck it, and we've never actually hit a 20 EBC color on the first try, so, so don't count on anything. And uh, we nailed it. We nailed it. We are getting enough experience on that equipment. I mean, I, I'm a brewer from way back, so I can figure out brewing equipment, and I can nail that down pretty quick. But the malting was new. And so with the help of our team in the plant, in the malt plant, um, we nailed that the first time. That was exciting. Um, some of the other things, uh, like developing new malts. Let's give that one a try. So one time, my supervisor and my assistant and I, 
are sitting around and we're talking and we're talking about let's develop some new malts because sometimes we're doing tests for the plant but we had a little space in the schedule and uh, let's develop some new malts so i said okay let's think about this what is what are the brewers really into right now they're into kettle sours they're into wild spontaneous fermentations cool ships belgian things stuff like that okay let's think about our resources Great Western Malting has been located in the same location inside the Port of Vancouver for 84 years. There are definitely going to be wild bugs that like barley here. So let's make those crazy wild bugs really happy and then kill them. <laughs> right? So so that's what we did. So, so it took us about 20 tries. And so we're using humidity. We're using temperature. Um... We are trying different kinds of steeps, short steeps, long steeps. We're trying some steam. We're trying all these different things. We're trying, uh, what if we take crushed, finished malted barley and mix it in with the raw barley? Maybe that'll inoculate it with whatever's on the skin of the barley. Ooh, but that's really hard to scale up for the plant. So we tried all these different things, and, um, and we made those bugs super happy. And it was crazy because the room smelled just insane it was it was just this powerful powerful insanely good or insanely bad well it wasn't garbage but it wasn't roses either <laughs> it was just you know all these tangy sour fruity just like just a fruit basket of smells and um and it was really really intense but then um so part of the process is steeping. That's a two-day process. And then part of the process is germination. That's a four-day process. And kilning is generally a one-day process. But kilning has two parts, drying and then curing. And if you don't cure them all, you really are missing out on a lot of flavor. Really, I mean, they talk about, oh, we need the farmers to grow more flavorful barley. Actually, in my opinion, now that I've done both brewing and malting, flavor is, is made in the malt house. That's where flavor comes from, I think. And so um, so it's the curing phase. Because you could just air dry it. Germans call that Luftmalz. It's some ancient type of malt. And it has a lot more diastatic power that, let's say, the distillers use to get a more complete uh, conversion of the starches into sugars. Um, however, um, for us, uh, we wanted to cure this as well. We were shooting for about a... A 45 EBC color, sort of, and we got there. So the one that we have now, we've actually replicated it out in the plant, and it's a super secret how we made it because it took it was so hard to do it. But we made our native, and I don't think anybody could replicate it because having a plant in the same place for 84 years and always taking raw barley from that region in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, which is the most beautiful, natural, back to nature, hiking trails, everything kind of region in the whole country, in my opinion. It's the it's like the Pacific Northwest is to the U.S. what Tassie is to Australians, I feel like. So think about, you know, Tassie barley, you know, if it's always coming from that kind of an area. And then, and then, you know, you have all these amazing bugs that are happy if you make them happy with the right kind of humidity and temperature and you let them go anaerobic and all this stuff um, from that from that site that malt plant site and then you bring it through the kiln phase with the drying and the curing and then you end up with this really cool malt which we call brew malt and um, and it starts out a little bit sour as you can imagine with the bacteria but it's not an acidulated malt a little bit tart and then you go into a 
banana pineapple uh, flavor. And then it kind of finishes out uh, toasty and biscuity. And it's delicious. And I brewed it um, at 20% in a 4.8 ABV pale ale with a lot of American hops for aroma. And it's just delicious. Um, Some of our Pink Boots members in the U.S. brewed with it for our International Women's Brew Day on March 8th or in March around that time. And I got feedback from about, I think about 13 of them or so, or I can't remember how many, maybe 15 of them. And um, one or two said, oh, it's not my thing. I'm really more of a, you know, Pilsner person or something. Um, But one of them said, you know, how did it turn out? It's like, well, we had seven IPAs on tap and that was the best tasting IPA. And others made saisons. We just... The Pink Boots ladies here in town, I went and did a collaboration with them the other day, and we made a, uh, um, a blackberry goza, and I think it would have gone well in that. Um, it's it's just, I'm, it, that's my love child. I mean, that, that took a lot of work, and it's so unique, and there's nothing else like it. You can consider it a spontaneously um, fermented wild uh, fermented barley all inside that kernel, or malt inside that kernel spontaneously wild fermented <laughs> malt right in the kernel. Doesn't that sound amazing? It, it is. But, and, and this was one of the reasons I wasn't going to let you go without letting us carry on about the malt um, because we had that, a brief chat off air so long ago now. But um, And just seeing your excitement about malt. And I guess it's fair to say that hops really exploded the perception that beer could be different. And uh, it was hops that really kick-started it. We've seen... Uh, brewers playing around with yeast in all of their many forms and taking extreme sour beers. But we've not seen too much excitement around, you know, what is the backbone and the soul of, of beer um, uh, until recently. But I'm hearing all of these industry stories where the maltsters are starting to fight back. They are starting to look at how they can innovate and make the malt in beer sing. I agree. I think that the pendulum swings and it continues to swing. And I think, um, you know, the pendulum swung over to hops and then there was a hop shortage. And then because the brewers were looking to differentiate with flavors and there was a hop shortage going on in like 2008, 2009 and there, 2010, then then they started swinging with yeast a little bit because they, they wanted to differentiate with flavors. Well, Malt time has come, in my opinion. So I am very happy that I, I am hoping and I do feel that the pendulum is going to swing toward malt now. It's funny. I spoke to a brewer about a brute IPA, um, which is essentially a style of beer that he was saying, you know, hides the malt characters and the enzymes break it down so the hops stand proud. And uh, he explained that IPA, he, his view was that IPAs had really won the imagination for beer drinkers because hops are so easy to get a handle on for non-beer for, for non-brewing industry people because they are so obvious uh, in, in a way and, and I might be uh, paraphrasing what he said a little bit and malt beers do tend to be a little bit more subtle the, the malt character um, tends to be a little bit more subtle so a little bit harder a little bit more nuanced for people to, to get a handle on is that what, what's your read on, on on that analysis of why hops have uh, come to dominate the industry. One of the things you just said um, kind of reminded me of a joke. So in the 1950s or 1960s, the joke would start, a man walks into a bar and orders a beer. 
But that exact same joke now is a man walks into a bar and orders an IPA because IPA is almost generic for beer. Mm. And so because of that, IPA is the canvas that everyone is painting all their different flavors on. A lot of the consumers don't know what IPA means. That's just what everybody's drinking. So mm. that's what I'm going to order. And there's there's jokes in the U.S. where the brewers will write on on their stainless tanks with those erase markers. And they'll have farmhouse IPA, you know, Goza IPA. <laughs> I mean, it's just a joke, but they literally will write IPA after because because people will walk in and say, hi, what kind of IPAs do you have? And they'll say, um, well, we have IPA, IPA. And they're like, well, what other kind of IPAs do you have? Uh, and so bartenders going, and then they go, ah, it's generic for beer. So they, well, we have a farmhouse. We have a cream, <laughs> a cream ale IPA, you know. And they're like, oh, I'll take the cream ale IPA. That's not an IPA. <laughs> so, and that, but that happens. It's kind of crazy. So being that the IPA is the canvas that everyone is using to paint their flavor um, flavor of the week, flavor colors. Um, seriously, if you give a brewer um, 22 tubes of paint, all different colors, and then you say, I invented a new blue, you know, we're a metaf- there's a metaphor here, they'll say, I want the new one. And in fact, brewers are just like consumers. Consumers will come in and say, what's the rarest beer you make? Oh, we make, you know, whatever, hen's teeth ale. They're like, can I have it? Like, no, we're out of it. Well, that's the only one I want. I only want the one I can't get. And And brewers are the same way. What's the hardest hop to get? Oh, that would be, I mean, I don't know what. We'll just make one up. Amarillo, right? It's like, that's the only one I want then. I want the one that's the hardest one to get. Can I get any Nelson Sauvin? No, it sold out three years ago. Oh, dang, that was the one I wanted. So, <laughs> so now they're going to say, I want Terry's Brewmalt. Oh, sorry, it's not imported into Australia yet, right? <laughs> so what, but I come across it again, uh, and again, there's a bit of a age divide because for a long time when lager was what was available mm-hmm. the one beer that most people had tried that wasn't a lager was guinness um and so or yeah. coopers or, or Cooper, <laughs> cooper's or, sorry, sparkling. Yeah, yeah so cooper's sparkling was yeah, it was yeah. a little bit but um stout was different so you had these roasted coffee dark chocolate uh-huh. burnt toast characters and it was almost too big a stretch for a lot of people from the from lagers. They go, oh, I don't like dark beers. And now you can have a beer that... At least they recognize it was a beer. A lot of people say, that's not beer. It's not yellow. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that, that wasn't... I, I don't recall that as being an issue, but it was almost a bridge too far for a lot of people. So right. now if they see a beer that's mahogany in the glass, oh, I don't like dark beers. And when you press them on it, it's always that roasty character that right. they associate with, that with That they might be afraid of. Well... You know, when I was a beer store clerk, um, I mentioned that I was a beer matchmaker and a beer detective. And I'll just give you a couple of stories from that because they're awesome. Um, I love that because I, I, I sometimes call myself a beer coach. I want to make, you know, but, but I, like, I, I like your titles. Yeah, so, um, so this uh, fellow comes in with his girlfriend. He says, hi, I'm a beer drinker. My girlfriend is not. I want her to be a beer drinker too. So can you give me a beer that, that she could drink? And so what I did is as a beer matchmaker, I'm asking her questions, food-related questions. Do you like chocolate? Yeah, I like chocolate. Do you like dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Milk chocolate only. Okay. Do you drink coffee? Yeah, I drink coffee. Black or cream or cream and sugar or what? Oh, lots of cream and sugar. Okay, we're getting a clue here. 
Do you like smoked foods, like smoked salmon or anything? Oh, I hate smoked foods. Okay, do you, do you drink wine? Yeah, I drink wine. Do you like um, dry dinner wines or more the dessert wines? Dessert wines only. Okay, we got it. She likes sugar. So I, I recommended the um, Young's Double Chocolate Stout in a can because the can is creamier with the nitrogen. It doesn't have the carbonic bite from the carbon dioxide. And I went over to the ice cream case and I said, and here's some, some Ben & Jerry's Rocky Road. I want you to make a stout float. Yep. And so a week later, she's back. She's buying some more. She says, she says, this was awesome. I'm a beer drinker now. My boyfriend's so proud of me and my dad is coming to visit and he's going to love this. Now, i got to give you two more stories, if you don't mind. No, from, no, from no, please those do. Days. So one day, I'm there. There's this, this little old lady. And she's like 70, 80 years old. And she comes in. And, and I said, hi, can I help you? And she says, yeah, I want some IPA. And I'm wondering, is it generic for beer, right? And I says, okay, um, do you know what kind of IPA you like? Do you like bitter IPAs are really aromatic she goes oh the bitter the better and she almost whispered it like it was conspiratorial oh the bitter the better is, is what I like and I'm like okay and so I said how about we get this six pack carrier and we fill it with six different IPAs so you could try it oh that'd be lovely so a week later she's back with another little old lady her same age and they're both holding a little six pack carrier she said excuse us can you give us 12 different IPAs we want to do a tasting and we want them really bitter. And I'm like, see, are the big national breweries selling to those, either the woman who likes the stout float or the little old ladies? But it's Not still at hard. all. They're, 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 they're women the mar- beer consumers. Well, I guess they're growing out of the margins, but they. it was once explained to me by somebody in the big breweries, we've got big hands. We can't sort of pick up the little pieces. And uh, I get it. That's, and, then the craft brewers can do and that. And that's where we've got an opportunity to, right, to get out. Right. So so there was another story where there's this woman, and, and she, she was a regular, and she, she would come in and get a six-pack of really expensive beers. Like sometimes those little beers would be $15 a bottle, U.S. And I'm like, wow, when you come in about once a week, you always get really, really good beers. I said, you must have some palate. She goes, well, actually... She says, I have a 16-year-old son, and she says, we do tastings together. She said, you know, we used to not get along very well. I'm a single mom. And she said, we really had a hard time communicating. She says, but since I started doing these weekly beer tastings with my 16-year-old son, our relationship has improved so so much. And she says, and, and, I, and I know I've ruined him for cheap beer as well. And she goes, and I'm happy with that too. And I thought, that's great. Again, I don't know enough about wine and some of those things to know if the same things, you, you do get people bonding in the same way, but beer is one of those drinks that it actually does bring people together. And I, I do worry sometimes that the uh, aficionado end of it can sometimes take the fun out of beer a little bit because it's the, the discovery, the non-judgmental discovery and the act of communing over beer is, is one of the things I love. I agree, because there can be, with those kinds of, of shared tastings, there can be a little bit of one, one-upmanship of who brought the most obscure, rarest beer, because that's the one we want to try, the one we can't get. Um, but it's more really about trying new flavors. It's for the consumer, you know, 
here's my box of Crayola crayons, and I've got 32 colors. But wait, there's a bigger box. It's 64 colors. We should be trying all of those different styles of beer. I mean, how many styles of beer did we judge at the Indies Awards, you know, this week? The awards ceremony is going to be tonight as we're, we're um, recording this. And so how many styles of beer are out there? And if you're a beer consumer and you're really starting to get in, into the into the fun of it um you know get a list online and go through and even if you can't find the beer that won the award because it's so rare find a different beer that's within that style um find one of the silvers one of the bronzes you know somebody that entered or just go into your local pub and say hey do you have a berliner weiss because i've never had one and it's on my bucket list now because i got a beer bucket list Good. Have one. It's interesting you say that. I did a beer tasting at a law firm and uh, beer and cheese was uh, the way I paired it up with and I dropped the cheese into the kitchen and the, uh, the house chef was with a couple of the other guys and they were working through the hottest 100. Every year there's a craft beer poll in, in Australia and it comes out as the hottest 100 and they had that printed out on the wall and they were working their, their way, way through, through it. And that's, that is a huge change from 10 years ago where they just wanted to have Heineken and VB right. in, in the fridge. And they were doing it to work out what would be great beers for them to have on the, um, on the menu. And that's a fantastic... Uh, it's cool. Mm. It's very cool. And, you know, just to give you a little, a little snapshot of how much Australia's beer scene has changed since I was here 16 and 17 years ago. In 2001, I judged the Australian International Beer Awards. And... Um, I'm a little young looking for my age, and so uh, I had a lot of experience at that point brewing and judging, and and most of the, well, they were all men on the judging panel. Most of them were older fellows who worked for the bigger breweries, and, and I, you know, the topic came up about judging ales from lagers, and one of the brewmasters who happened to be from New Zealand, and this is not a slam against New Zealand, and I don't even know what brewery <laughs> it was with, but he said... He said, well, it's all the same. We just use the same yeast, um, whether it says ale or lager on the label is whatever marketing wants to put on it. And I said, that's not true at all. I said it has to do with fermentation temperature and the flavors that present in the beer based on those fermentation temperatures. And, you know, who's this little whippersnapper, you know, young woman who's going to tell these older experienced guys, you know, what, what beer is. And, um, we literally had four categories. We had light ales and dark ales and light lagers and dark lagers. And that was it. That was the four categories in the competition. And one day, my craziest day judging ever in my long judging career, we judged 102 light lagers that all virtually tasted the same in one day. We took a, a break every 10 beers. I drank a lot of water. <laughs> and that was really difficult. And, uh, and, and it was kind of boring, to tell you the truth. Um, but the fact that a brewmaster who was judging the Australian International Beer Awards didn't realize that ales versus lagers was not just a marketing term. It was actual style and flavor term was shocking to me as an American. But that would never happen now in Australia. I mean, your judges that I judged with were top shelf, top shelf. And they knew their stuff. They definitely know their stuff. And they're, ma they're showing it by making it. I mean, they're making all sorts of crazy styles from all over the world and what i'm looking forward to the next time i'm invited back to judge here in australia is a lot of the styles say american style this or that category i'm looking forward forward to australia 
developing their own indigenous beer styles. When I judged the AIBA in 2001 and 2002, I did notice that there seemed to be a, a happy dark uh, lager. It was a little hoppier than, let's say, the Michelob Darks of the United States and things like that. And so, um, so I was wondering, gee, I wonder if Australia is going to develop some indigenous beer styles. And that particular now, indigenous... I will, I, I will just say for the, for, for, for the record that uh, I, I've kept you so long that it has reached an acceptable time for us to actually have a beer. So Yes, <laughs> cheers. <laughs> cheers, Terry. <laughs> I don't have a cup. I'm, I'm doing the absolute wrong thing. So we need to do a sound. Can you hear that? Blurpity blurp. We're not one of those podcasts where... I don't, I don't where, think you uh, can hear that. No. Oh, we, we forgot to make There the, are enough podcasts the, where people are sitting around drinking beer. <laughs> that, that, okay. But uh, sorry, sorry. Yes, sorry, I interrupted you just to explain that we were suddenly... Uh, we are now drinking beer. It was kombucha earlier and now it's beer. So we had a fermented beverage, but it wasn't alcoholic. Um, but now it is. Okay, it's lovely too. So a pale ale. So so yes. So when I come back next time, I'm really hoping. In fact, I am hoping that Australia develops some new indigenous beer styles. That I mean, why not go crazy on cream ales or something? That would be a great canvas to paint paint flavors at on because it it's soft you know or, or have, even have a, you tried pacific ale yet which is i don't know if i've had that stone and wood so stone and wood um up remember, in remember when we judge we judge blind <laughs> so i might have had it i don't know there was an excellent cream ale i judged i don't i won't know until tonight whose it was okay well, <laughs> th- th- this is a it, it's a, almost a riff on the classic cooper's sparkling ale or oh, the fun. cooper's pale ale um but mm-hmm. taking the australian developed galaxy hop and really punching it out mm. As a uh, passion fruit, uh, lychee uh, character, but it's around about twenty to twenty-two IBUs. Great, um, slightly hazy, and mm-hmm. you know, for, for it's a really nice uh, session beer. Something you can have two or three of, and it's four point four percent alcohol. So that's great. It's got that nice balance, and that's um, probably the next in, in a, yeah, the, the next incarnation of the classic Australian pale ale. Nice is, is one of the indigenous. Well, you know, a lot of the things that are being called IPAs, like the Brute IPA you mentioned and, you know, the Session IPAs and the Hazy IPAs, they're not actually IPAs because IPA, by definition, is is a little bit stronger. It's gener- it's clear. It can be gold to copper. And it's it's got a lot of hops. But some of these are very low alcohol and hugely aromatic, but they're not really IPAs by the traditional sense. So it'd be nice if they just called them Hazy Pale Ale or... You know, call it a brute ale or something, but brute IPA. Sure, it's got a lot of hops, but it's really only about twenty IBU. But IPA, so it's not bitter. IPA is playing in the, the use of the IPA is because it has become a marketing term. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's like it's like in the old days when they're like, oh, we're gonna put ale on this one just because marketing decided. Maybe they're putting IPA on things, but whatever. Everybody's making it. I'm waiting for people to start calling sour. Sour IPA? Or, 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 or sour something when it's not sour at all just because sour is so fashionable. Right, right. Yeah, well, you know, Belgo IPA, is it is it an IPA made with Belgian yeast or is it a Belgian beer that's been hopped a lot? Are they really IPAs at all? No, something else. That's fine. Um, but I'm really hoping to see some indigenous, new indigenous styles that Australian brewers come up with. And I want to see the Great American Beer Festival have a category for Australian style, boom, whatever it is. 
That would be that would be great. That would be wonderful. Now I, I have kept you for almost two hours now, but I won't let you go without talking about very quickly about the uh, well, as long as you want, actually, as long as you can stay, the <laughs> Brewmasters Cottage, which is your new pro- project. That's great, and that's that's a, a private project my husband and I did. Um, we live in Portland, Oregon, uh, which is Bruvana, USA. I mean, they call it Munich on the Willamette for a reason. Uh, Birvana, Bruvana, Bruvana is what they call it. And um, I think there's about 115 breweries in Portland Metro. And, you know, there's a small part of me that wants to open a brew pub, mostly because I want to decorate it. <laughs> and so when my husband, when we were building the Brewmasters Cottage, he said, oh, this is taking too long and costing too much or whatever. I said, honey, it could be worse. I could be opening a brew pub. <laughs> <laughs> and so this way, I just get to decorate this little half-size house. So it's 800 square feet, and I don't know what that is in meters or anything. But um, it's basically a kind of a curated museum or a love poem to the beer, beer and beer ingredients. So I have a barley wall. I have three bright and shiny hop cone lights that are hanging over the kitchen peninsula. Um, I've got um, a lot of, you know, it's, it's not branded art. Um, it's more like ingredient art. There's an old magazine ad from some ancient American Brewers Association or something. It's like, women can enjoy beer, too, after a game of golf. And there's two ladies in their golf clothes drinking their beers with their golf clothes. At least clubs. it was after golf rather than something m- more more sort of uh, ladylike. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so a lot of that kind of stuff. Let's see what else. Oh, there's this book called The Comic Book of Beer. And it's a graphic novel with about the history of beer. I'm actually in it in my pink boots. And so I took um, four copies of that book and sliced off the spines. And I glued those up as if they were wallpaper, one page at a time in the lower bathroom, the downstairs bathroom. Um, so the entire downstairs bathroom is a history of beer in comic book format. You can sit on the dunny and just like a- a- and read the history of beer while you're there. Um, what else did we do? Um, oh, it's got it's got an upstairs um, is a master bedroom and a walk-in closet, bathroom up and down. Have heated tile floors. It's really really posh, and then it's got a uh, what we call a Murphy bed, but it's inside of a desk. And um, what else do we do with art? There's a lot of art stuff in there. Some stuff from my career. Outside is the secret garden and the front patio, and we have a lot of beer signs on the fences. Um, oh, I, I created eight stained glass windows, all with the beer theme. I had so much about ingredients with the other de- decorations that I, I like, I, I stained glass windowed what looks like Sierra Nevada's cattle from their new, my fo- my husband took a photo of it. I'm like, that's great. I'm going to put that into a stained glass window. And so um, over each doorway is a stained glass window, a beer themed stained glass window that I made myself. And, oh, and then and then the hopped the t- the kitchen has hop tiles, handmade hop tiles that I designed, and so it's it's really beautiful. So it sounds like a beer lover's paradise. It but is. It, it, can anyone stay? Like, is is it publicly available through the? Oh, it, uh, it is. Um, we rent the, it through vacasa.com, okay. vac- like vacation, and then casa is Spanish for house, and they advertise it on VRBO, which is vacation rentals by owner. It's, it's not on Airbnb. It's not on Airbnb, but we'll, yeah. we'll link to it because if you are going to Portland, it sounds like the perfect place. It's the uh, perfect to, place to stay. To, to base yourself. So uh, we'll absolutely uh, put, it, put and it a link. And there's even two bicycles. You can ride around to the breweries. 
on. Not a bicycle built for two, but uh, no, it's two, two, two separate bicycles. Yeah. Well, Terry Farendorf, it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you for uh, it's been almost two hours of your time um, that will run over a couple of different it's episodes. Been fun. It, 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 it's, it's been a great <laughs> chat. Hopefully, uh, even after the mics turn off, you're not going to race off, so we can uh, no. talk a little bit more. Yeah, but, uh, we can. Congratulations on a, a career in beer, and thank also you. for everything you've achieved uh, with Pink Boots, and uh, long, long may it continue. And uh, hopefully, we will get you down again. Uh, to, to judge uh, in future years and we can touch base again but thank you very much it's been wonderful to have you as, with this conversation about beer cheers thanks don't forget if you like what we do at Radio Brews News you can help us out in a number of ways you can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener. And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation. And we look forward to another conversation next week. Mm-hmm.